Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madat. Thanks very much for joining us on this one. Today I have Adam Jay. He is VP of Sales at Spot On, coming to us from the rather balmy West Palm Beach, Florida. Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. And it uh, it is balmy. It's about 98 degrees and uh, 98% humidity at the moment. Anytime I get to Florida, it's like a punch in the face. It's just like it's bam. It's so hot down there. It is. Um, it is consistently brutal. Every summer I ask myself why I live here. Um, and every winter I remind myself why I live here. But that said, I, I grew up in Las Vegas and people say that, you know, how do you grow up in Vegas? It's so hot. It's 120 Different. degrees in the summer. Um, and I always heard my parents saying, oh, it's not that hot. It's, it's hot. It's like sticking your head in an yeah. oven. Well, say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro, then we'll get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been in sales for um, sure, we'll get into it, but I dabbled in um, pharmaceuticals, medical device, and finally made it over to the tech side. Uh, live in West Palm Beach with an amazing nine-year-old kid that uh, keeps me on my toes. And especially now with everything in COVID, it's uh, making sure that I find time during the day to step aside and give him a couple hours of the day as well. Well, you know what? I, I so respect that you said that. And so let's chat about this because I know a little bit about your current state and you're responsible for uh, a number of different people in your role. Uh, you know, eight, eight to 10 managers, 50 to 70 salespeople. That, that's, a, that's a big responsibility. And then, of course, you know, you're a dad in your personal life. And so outside of working from home and trying to manage that, um, how are you? How are your family? How, how's, the, how's the team? Uh, what's going on? You doing okay? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're doing good. Um, school just ended down here in Florida. Um, we end in the end of May. For the last couple months of school, it was all, you know, school from home, which was very interesting. So I would work at my desk and I'd have my son Zachary sitting next to me uh, working at his desk and trying to find that balance was difficult, but I, um, it's funny. There's a lot of people who said they didn't enjoy it. I really enjoyed getting to spend the time with him, um, being able to learn with him and play with him. And the family is good, man. And from a, a business standpoint, we're, we're very lucky. We continued to hire and grow throughout COVID. Uh, we're continuing to hire and grow now, but it's, it's definitely nice to see the market turning around. Yeah, and good. I'm glad to hear that outside of, uh, you know, maybe the perceived inconvenience of the first world problem of having to navigate working from home and uh, everybody's safe and uh, and business has been uh, flourishing as opposed to furloughs and layoffs and, you know, kind of, you know, people having that uncertainty. So congrats on, Big a on, uh, on kind of being able to create that. So good. I appreciate it. You know, it's funny you say that. Someone stopped me at the mailbox about a week ago um, and they're like, you know, how are you doing? And the answer was very simple. I, I'm healthy, mm -hmm. my kid's healthy, and I'm employed. There's really nothing to complain about. There, there's much bigger problems in the world and it makes us really take a step back at things we used to complain about that just don't matter anymore. Yeah, it's so true. Well, listen, Adam, I, I appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm ready for you to share your story. You ready to go? Absolutely. All right. Let's go back as we do on this podcast. Going back, well, maybe the better part of 20 years now, 18 years or so, back to 2002, Florida Atlantic University, uh, graduating with a BSc in business admin. Uh, you had uh, VP sales at spot on in your scope, didn't you, 20 years later? I absolutely 100% did not. 
Um, I had no idea that I was ever going to go into sales. Um, I actually knew I wasn't going to go into sales. Um, my dad was in sales for the entire my entire childhood. Uh, he was in real estate sales, both commercial and residential. Mm. And then out in Vegas, as I'm sure you know, timeshares are huge. Um, so he ran some timeshare properties out there. And I always told myself I was never going to sell anything to anyone. And so uh, w- when you graduated, um, what was your first career? Did you jump right into sales or did you actually do something else? Um, I was an on-air radio personality for a few years. Um, I worked for a radio station down here in South Florida called WRMF. Um, I started doing overnights, which was miserable, um, from 12 in the morning till six in the morning. Um, I clearly very much wanted to be on the radio and then was given a chance to do the afternoon drive. Um, and I learned very quickly that unless you are a high performing syndicated radio morning show host, there is absolutely positively no money in radio. Uh, is that right? And so, so, so how, how long did you do that? And uh, how quickly did you realize that it wasn't really the career for you either in terms of the actual vocation itself, but then also not being able to you, for you to live the life that you want from a financial standpoint? Yeah, great question. So I, I did it for about four years. Um, I realized early on that there was no money in it, but I think being young and single and fresh out of school, um, I love the idea of being on the radio. Um, and there's certainly something to being able to tell someone like, what do you do for a living? Hey, I'm on the radio. Um, it, it was a good time. Um, in, in about 2006, I had my first like post-college serious relationship. Um, and she was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And no offense with what I'm about to say to pharma reps, but she worked what I call T to T, which was Tuesday to Thursday, 10 to 2, um, <laughs> and made an awful lot of money. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, that's going to be my next That's gig. for me. That's for me. That's what I want to do. Your, so your radio career, uh, did you ever have a chance to actually speak to uh, a, a musician that uh, as I a didn't. guest on your show at all? I didn't. So it wasn't talk radio. I was literally, you know, computers were out then, so we weren't pushing CDs. Mm. Um, but it literally, you know, radio is very different from what a lot of people think. Uh, The playlist is derived by a music director weeks in advance. Mm. There is a very specific formula for whether you hear a male artist, a group, a female artist, in what order you hear those. All the advertisements are piped in and you're literally told when to speak. What you say, you have some flexibility with. Um, But everyone who thinks you get to call into your radio station and make your request and that the request actually gets played, not true. Good to know. Uh, good. Uh, I'll have to make sure I stop, do- <laughs> stop doing that then. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your transition from disc jockey and, uh, you know, the future of maybe being a Howard Stern. And then you pivot into professional sales. Okay. So you get into pharma sales. Where'd you land and for how long? So I was lucky. Um, I landed with a company called Shire Pharmaceuticals, which is now part of Takeda. Um, the running joke when people asked me, you know, what I did in pharma, I sold speed to kids. Um, so I sold ADHD medication, a little drug called Adderall that you might have heard of, um, and a product called Vyvanse. And I was there for uh, just about three years, give or take. All right. So you're there for three years. And when was this? Early 2007 to 2010, right in um, prime Ooh, economic time. Rough go. Yeah. It, so ta- um, it was interesting. So talk to me about that that time then, because... 
your decision to get into sales was not something you had thought you'd actually planned. I, I'm not doing this as a result of, uh, you know, your dad's career and different logo, but in sales. And then you jump into the deep end in pharma sales. And then we, we go through this, you know, mortgage crisis of 2008 and nine, where it was bad for anybody listening remembers this. It was bad for a long time. So um, how did you how did you thrive during that period? You know, it, it, it's funny. Um, so first and foremost, I didn't work T to T. That's for sure. <laughs> was it S to S? Yes, Sunday to Saturday. <laughs> um, I, I called on pediatricians and I called on psychologists, which I think is even in the economic downturn is what allowed me um, and the company to be successful. Mm. Um, probably more so when you have that economic crisis, when parents are around their children more you are more prone to see their perceived behavioral deficiencies. So ADHD was really, really popular back in 2007, 8, 9, and 10. Um, it was the common diagnosis, if you will. Uh, you know, my child's hyper, oh, they have ADHD, let's put them on medication. So we were really able to be successful. We launched new products. And it was at a time where the older technology of the products um, and not to bore anyone with pharmacokinetics, um, was changing. Instead mm. of this immediate release product where you had a high and you had a withdrawal, it was all focused on really the steady state that we know in a lot of our medications today. And it was really able to um, make a difference legitimately in the lives of kids that had ADHD. And we were able to grow the business despite the market downturn. So talk to me about your decision to move on. Uh, wh where'd you go and did they find you or did you find them? I found them. Um, so if you've ever spoken with a pharmaceutical rep before, um, every pharmaceutical rep wants to get into medical device. It's like the creme de la creme, de la creme of sales jobs. Um, now it's probably still the same with the exception of technology sales. Um, I think it's looked at as a very high regarded sales job. I had found a position online, and I think back then it was probably like monster.com or like something that probably sure. doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I applied and I interviewed and I was initially told, you know, we don't hire people who don't have medical device experience, um, you know, come go get some medical device experience and come back to us. And it's kind of funny, right, Paul, you know, go get medical device experience and come back to us. Well. The next medical device company is going to tell me the exact same thing. Right. Um, so what did I do? I sold the hiring manager that he needed to give me a chance um, and needed to let me come work for him and let me prove myself. And I was able to convince him over a course of a couple of weeks and some follow-up emails and drafting a business plan without being asked to that, wow. you know, I'm the right person to take a chance on. So what was it about? Was it about the company that you were really driven by? Because that's a lot of work to do when you don't even know if it's going to gain any traction with anybody. It is. Um, so it was twofold. Um, the company definitely played a part in it. So the company was Hologic. Um, it is the still the largest um, medical device company in the women's healthcare space. So they invented 3D mammography, which is very, very popular right now. Um, and I had three products that were in a totally different subset. But the fact of working for a market leader in a large um, Fortune 500 company certainly appealed to me. Hmm. And then the other part of it was I wanted to be in the operating room every day. 
Um, I loved the fact that even though it was sales, it truly was helping people. I've been very fortunate with every sales role I've had um, in my life, e even now, that I truly believe I'm helping people, albeit in a different way. Um, and Hologic had products that really helped women with um, cancer. We were able to help them remove that cancer and or prevent cancer. Um, and that was a mission that I was able to get behind. And then being able to do it for such a large company um, was definitely something that attracted me. Well, that's a pretty cool thing to say because I think probably most uh, you know, tier one salespeople from a revenue standpoint, they have to believe in their offering uh, as having an impact. It can't just be, well, this is going to align my pockets and impact my life. That Because I, I think that's pretty surface and it, it's not a sustainable model. Most people would be able to see through that pretty quickly. And so so you, you, you had a, a, a passion or a real interest in the fact that you, your services and your product was actually impacting the lives of individuals. And I'm sure that came through in your messaging. And so you're at Hologic for how long? Um, so I was at Hologic for about six and a half years, give or take. Okay, six and a half years. Individual contributor all the way? No, no, um, definitely not. I started off as a territory rep. Um, I, I was very, very lucky um, in my performance there. I was able to do great things. I was promoted six months later to a field sales trainer. Um, and then about two years later, I was promoted to a district manager. Um, and then two years after that, promoted to a regional manager. And you're somebody that they weren't even going to hire because you didn't have any experience. And here you are six months into the territory job. That they, they, they make you a trainer. Yeah, six months. Um, and that, you know, it's funny. That was probably one of my favorite roles looking back. Um, and I love what I do now. But the most impact you could have, in my opinion, yeah. is as a field sales trainer. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. well. I mean, I think I have the best job in the world, so I appreciate you, appreciate you saying. Even though I'm not a field sale trainer, but uh, having that impact uh, is great. So you're there yeah. for for the better part of six years. You know, six years it's it's not a, a mega long time, but it's also not an insignificant period of time, also because you know I'll certainly engage with some sales professionals. They'll be at a, at a company for a year, year and a half, and then they jump ship or somebody finds them. And so, um, what was behind your decision to leave? Oh, so kind of a loaded story. Um, so after I left Hologic, I went to a company called Unified Women's Healthcare. And UWH was one of, if not the largest customers of Hologic in the Florida area. Um, so they are a private practice physician management organization. Um, and their goal is to go gobble up OBGYN practices throughout the United States, bill under one tax ID number, um, and bring everyone in together. Mm. And I'd known the founders of UWH for years. We've gone back and forth. And there's always this running joke that like, when you leave Hologic, you need to come work for us and come grow the business. Um, but the timing was never right. And Hologic went through some restructuring um, in the mid of 2016. They had brought in a new CEO uh, who's still there, Steve McMillan, who used to run Stryker. They got rid of a lot of the senior sales managers um, and they were looking to make some changes. I had just stepped into a role which was titled the Director of Strategic and Competitive Development. Sounds like a great title. Um, what was I gonna do? I was gonna go design competitive strategy. How do we win against our, our competitors? And three weeks after I got the role, I was told, you know, we have a new CEO and there, there's no um, 
no vision for that role anymore. But Lovely. here's a really nice severance package. Lovely. Um, yeah, I, I probably, I never thought I was going to leave. And I reached out to my contacts at Unified Women's Healthcare. I'm like, you know, now, now's the time. And they, they brought me on um, to really build out that model, to grow it from what was then three different states to when I left, that we were nine states plus the District of Columbia, um, and really build out a sales team and really show the value to these physicians of why you simply can't be in private practice and survive anymore. And the option of going to become a hospital employee is probably not that appealing to you. You know, Adam, about 20 years ago, before I ever even got into the world of sales, I was working for an organization on the credit side and I got packaged off totally unexpectedly. I got called into a boardroom and my manager's there, head of HR is there, just to kind of give you some context of how ignorant I was. I didn't even realize HR being there was a bad thing. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Like, oh, what are you doing in this meeting? And then here's your check to not come in tomorrow. And I remember thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. There was a lot of fear there. And so appreciating that you had maybe on the surface an option at, at UWH, um, any fear at the time around, okay, now what? Oh, ab absolutely. Um, it was a totally different space. Selling medical devices to doctors is, it's a very tangible product, right? I'm walking in with a product that this is going to help your patient. When I worked for UWH, it's funny, I joke with my friends, I, I was selling a hope and a dream. Um, you know, I would go to, let's take Texas, for example, where we had no physicians, talk about this vision of how we're going to create this grand group and you're going to get higher reimbursement and lower costs, but you have to join us first. And by the way, we need 300 of you to join before we can even do this, because without that, the insurance companies don't want to talk to us. Mm. And P.S., you're going to pay me 7% of all your revenues to do this for you before we do any of it. Um, so it was, it was selling a hope and a dream. And there definitely was a lot of fear, um, a lot of anxiety. But when we look at helping people um, and we look at that model and what I believe in, I, I truly thought that working with physicians and getting them to be part of a larger group was a, a great way to keep them from losing their autonomy by becoming a hospital employee and losing their revenue by staying an independent provider. Because as an independent provider, you're going to call, let's just say, United Healthcare, and you're going to say, I don't like this contract that you've offered me. And they're going to say, that's fantastic. There's 300 other providers in your zip code that take that exact same contract. And if you don't want to work with us, no problem. You no longer take United Healthcare, which you can't afford to do as a doctor. When you're part of a large group and the insurance company comes back and says, you know, we're not going to give you fair reimbursements, well, now you're going to lose 320 of our physicians. We deliver one in four babies in the state. Hmm. One of our doctors are within every three and a half minutes of a person. The insurance company is then forced to negotiate with you. Um, and I genuinely believe that we provided physicians the opportunity to stay in practice longer, to be paid fairly. And then when they're paid fairly, it allows them to provide better care for their patients. Interesting. You know, Adam, I want to chat with you about how you, your path um, to spot on, because I know you're relatively new to the organization. Nice timing, right? It, you know, Great. So, right? Great timing. Right? I'm able to make a change during COVID. Who gets to do that? <laughs> so, but I, I'm, I'm really curious before we even move into that around your decision to find spot on how you got there, your, your interest and 
uh, intrigue in leadership because it's two vastly different roles from individual contributor to manager, director, VP sales. And so I know that you you were at, uh, you know, uh, VP at UWH, you were uh, a leader and manager at Toast, uh, as well as, um, um, you know, uh, sorry, your next step here was you went to, um, uh, you, you were freelancing for a little bit here. But talk to me about your interest in in leadership, because anybody who is a regular listener to this podcast knows I was a manager for a while, and like I was just like I was terrible. I was just I just was <laughs> highly ineffective. I just I didn't love the job at all, and so as a result, I wasn't very effective. And so, I know that it's a very different um, skill set required to be a, a a top leading person, whether it be responsible for seventy people and eight managers like you are. Or being responsible for a team of four or five—it's a vastly different skill set, different requirement mentally. And so, talk to me about your interest. Um, did you gravitate to that very easily, or did it take a long time for you to really develop and hone your skill in that area? So, I—I I think I graduated to it pretty easily once I was a um, field sales trainer and realized the value that I got and that I felt um, from coaching people. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I, in my mind knew that I never wanted to go back to being an individual contributor again. And it's a double-edged sword. I think any good manager, um, will tell you, I make less than my top performing rep. That that's fine. Mm -hmm. I, I probably make less than my top performing manager. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, it, it comes down to a couple things. It it's coaching people. It's providing that leadership guidance. It is getting people to realize they can do things that they never thought possible, which is something I really enjoy. You know, when I have a rep who doesn't believe that they're going to be able to do something and we can strategize um, and they're able to do it, I, I think that's really important. And that's the great part of like a district manager role. You know, when I was at Toast, I was a, a DM and a senior DM, and I was able to work directly with reps. As you move up to a director and a VP level role, you're, you're now working with managers instead of reps. And that's a whole different kind of coaching yeah. um, that takes a, a whole different skill set. And when I look at it, you know, for me, it's the easiest way to explain it, Paul, is it's the difference between is my job tactical or is my job strategic? At a DM level, at an IC level, you're, you're very, very tactical in the day-to-day, -day, right? You know, I'm looking at how do I close business today, this week, this month. Mm -hmm. When you get up to that director and that VP role, you start getting into the strategy. You know, what does next month look like? How are we going to develop strategies to handle the obstacles that are going to come our way? And that, to me, is what I really enjoy. I enjoy that big strategic picture um, and being able to take part in those strategic conversations in the direction of a company. I think that's very well said, and it's, uh, it's it's pretty cool that you've been able to uh, sustain it for, for such a long period of time at a very high level. I mean, your resume speaks for itself in terms of the results and what you've been able to generate. And so uh, you're now at spot on. Uh, as, you know, the word I use for this time of the world right now is unique because it's really a real PG word I can really come up with for what's happened over the last 90 to 120 days or so, give or take. And so did Spot On find you? Did you raise your hand? Um, did you have to create this much like your, did you have to put a business case together where they didn't want you like the last time around? Or talk to me about no, your, your time um, at Spot On so far. It's funny. So the way I found Spot On was through a colleague of mine at Toast, um, who shall remain nameless. 
And I actually reached out. So Toast, listen, Toast is a great company. Um, Toast got hit with COVID pretty hard. Um, they laid off half, their, half of their entire company. Mm. And I decided just in case, you know, even if you're in leadership, you don't know if you're going to be part of that layoff or not, um, unless you're the VP of HR making those decisions. Um, and I decided that it was time to, you know, look around. And I reached out. I found the president of Spot On directly on LinkedIn. Um, and we just started chatting back and forth very casually. One night he asked me if I wanted to hop on a Zoom with the two founders. Um, and we started talking very casually. And I was so overwhelmingly impressed with the culture of these three gentlemen, with their vision for the company, with the success of the past, and really with their beliefs of how we treat our customers and what's going to differentiate us in the market. Um, that I left every single one of those calls saying, I have to work for this company. Um, and we just talked and it was, it was never like a formal interview. No one asked me, you know, tell me about a time when, or, you know, what was the best this that you did? It right. was more like, what's your vision for the future? And does your vision and your philosophy and your values align up with ours? And they lined up so perfectly that, the opportunity to be part of this executive team just made sense. And, and so, you know, your decision to join them during this period of time, uh, given that we're all, you know, tr mostly working remotely, uh, the eight managers that uh, report up to you and the 70 salespeople behind them, uh, have, you, uh, have you met any of them uh, face to face or has it been all virtual so far? Um, so it's funny, um, several of the reps actually came over with me from Toast. They were part of the layoff. Nice, okay. Um, and if I hired them once, why not hire them again um, and again and again? Um, and it's extremely flattering. Um, you know, I think anytime someone wants to follow a manager somewhere, that says a lot. Yeah. I had a couple in my life that I wanted to follow and would. Um, and then most of them, no, I haven't met face-to-face. -face. I've never met our founders or my boss face-to-face. Um, I'm hoping to get out to San Francisco sometime in the next couple of months, but it's um, Zoom has become our friend. You and I were joking around when we started talking. You're, you're my 14th Zoom call today. Um, and anyone who's ever worked for me knows that I have this rule about video on. Um, I like to be able to see people. I like people to see me and see those facial expressions. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a challenging time. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam, last question for you. Um, I always like to ask anybody who's on, uh, if anybody came to you looking for any piece of advice, anything that's worked for you in your life, uh, anything come to mind? I'm sure there's lots, but uh, you know, if there's one thing that uh, might resonate. There is. I think that the biggest thing you know, that I would say to anyone, whether you're a, a VP of sales, a CEO, or it's your first sales job, um, the most important thing is coachability. You have to be coachable. You have to be willing to learn. Um, and you have to show that. Don't, don't sit on the sidelines and wait for someone to come to you and teach you something. Take that, that initiative, show that you're coachable, um, and then more importantly, put it into action. I think it's very well said, and let's, uh, let's wrap it up on that one. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate you being here, Adam. Thanks very much. And everybody, thanks for listening, uh, for joining us on this one again. Remember, your intention matters because that's the result that you'll tend to get. We're out of here. And I think we'll do it again next week. Be safe, everybody.